Hello, this is Pastor Matthew. I just want to take a moment personally to say thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. Our mission is to impact the valley and bless the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We encourage you to go check out our website at crosslinkva.com. By doing so, you can learn all about the ministries of Crosslink and how we're involved in the community. Please know we're praying for you. God bless you. What a joy to be with you and um, to be in, uh, by the way, that you, you do the third service. And if I came from a pastor's standpoint to you, um, boy, love on Pastor Matt. My goodness, if he's doing this. I get the memo from Michael that said, um, you're, you're needing to be at the church at 7.15 this morning. That seems like three days ago now. Um, uh, 7.15, and, and one of the reasons that I'm so appreciative of this is, is so we can have prayer together. But then I preach at eight, then I preach at 9.30, and, and now I'm preaching here at 11. And as a 60-year-old, I mean, I used to do this 20 years ago. I'd do 10 prayer leader meetings all day with Michael, and it wasn't any problem. Um, Robbie over here, when he was praying, because I used to work with cattle, feeder cattle sales and stuff, he said, I pray you give him the strength like you would have to give him if it was an October sale. And I'm like, boy, that was a great prayer because those were 24 to 36 hours straight. Well, I don't plan to preach 36 hours right now, but I do need the strength that I had back in those days. And I, again, I know you guys appreciate your pastors. I can't tell you how much I love Pastor Matt, Pastor Mike, to be able to just see, see what God is doing here with this church. And I do hope you'll uh, come sometimes to the first service, sometimes the second service, and then folks at those other services, so y'all can see all that God is doing here. It is a great work of God in the valley, and what a joy to be here with you today. I have no greater joy than see my children walk in truth. Um, uh, if you have your Bibles, uh, let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Uh, I am uh, serving as a pastor uh, at Salem Baptist Church. Part of my role there as a pastor then is to be the head of school uh, at Salem Baptist Christian School. And, and we have a mission statement as the head of school. I see my role to provide a quality Christian education at an affordable price. So that's my one sentence statement of what I get up for every day to provide a quality Christian education at an affordable price. Now, every word in that mission statement has meaning, but of all the words, it's the word Christian, because we can have a school that provides quality education. We could be one of the best private schools in North Carolina, but folks, uh, we don't need another private school in North Carolina. We need a solid Christian school in North Carolina. So I get up every day to provide Christian education. I'm also a parent. As a parent, uh, what a joy for me. 1990, June 28th, uh, to hold in my hands 
my precious little girl, she's with us here today, Christy, and as I held her, I, any of you who have become a father, you know what I'm talking, it, there's nothing like it. I mean, it's just, I'm holding her, what a gift from God. I was so overwhelmed that I was like, God, thank you for this privilege to be her father, to be her daddy. And, and then we would have three years later, Katie. And then after Katie, a couple years later, we'd have Kirk, uh, my first son. And then we'd have Clayton with a K, my second son. And, and we have four kids, Christy, Katie, Kirk, and Clayton. And then we got a dog and we named her Candy and with a K. And, and we have another dog named Cletus with a K. And we have uh, Casey with a K. I don't know. It's something about us preachers. We're kind of weird. Um, but, but my four kids, I'm, I'm like, Lord, wow. I, I've got more responsibility now. I, I was overwhelmed in, in June of 1988 when I got told uh, I pronounce you to be husband and wife. I was called a husband. But then June of 28, June 28 of 1990, I'm now going to be called a dad. Her first words are going to be dada, not mama, dada. And, and I knew, boy, I've got this huge responsibility, but how do I do it? How do I do the role and the responsibility of a father? And so I had become a Christian in 1983, and, and the Bible had become my source of authority on how to live life and do life, and so I go to the Bible. And, and I said, God, how do you do fatherhood? What's my responsibility? And I found Deuteronomy chapter six. And if you've got your Bibles there, would you stand with me? I wanna read Deuteronomy six, and then we're gonna go over to Ephesians chapter six, two passages, and, and you know this, if you've been a Christian for any time, been a Christian parent for any time, you know I'm only touching uh, the tip of the iceberg of what God has to say, because there's lots of instruction in here on how to be a parent. Um, but Deuteronomy 6 is where we start this morning. Verse 1, now this is the commandment, and these are the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess, that you may fear the Lord your God. Now hold on to that phrase. We're going to come back to that phrase. That you may fear the Lord your God to keep all of his statutes and his commandments, which I've commanded you and you and your son and your grandson all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. Therefore, hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it, that it may be well with you and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. Verse 7. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. Did you see verse 7? 
The title of today's message is Christian Education Begins in the Home. Look at verse 7 again. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk with them when you sit in your church, when you sit in school. Well, surely we want the Word of God taught in church, and surely for us, a Christian school, we want the Word of God taught in school. But listen, the first thing we're taught here about children learning is in the home, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. Christian education begins in a home. Turn to Ephesians chapter four, 6. Ephesians chapter 6. Children... Verse 1, children, I, I, I wonder how many of you taught your children this verse before you taught them John 3, 16. <laughs> children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. When uh, Christy was just getting old enough to learn Bible verses. Yes, I taught her Ephesians 6.1. And we would review. We would review. So one night, I said, all right, Christy, Ephesians 6.1. Children, he says, parents, obey your children. <laughs> said, what in the world? The devil then showed up here and is twisting scripture already. No, Christy, no. Um, and I believe she stepped out. I look back at her, I don't see her. Um, she's like, Daddy's picking on me again. You know, children are always sermon illustrations for a pastor. Uh, pray for Michael's kids. Um, Ephesians 6, 1, verse 2, Ephesians 6, 2, honor your father and mother, which is first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and, may, and you, you may live long on the earth. And you fathers, there it is, and you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. Fathers, train your children in the Lord. So two passages that are I'm saying today gives me a conclusion. Christian education begins in the home. You may be seated. Christian education begins in the home. Now, as a parent, what does that look like? And I'm going to go another level just in case you're here going, well, I'm not a parent. I'm not a grandparent. I don't, I don't know if I need to hear this. I want you to think not only of the physical component, but think of the spiritual component. Because each one of us should be becoming spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers. What do we need to be teaching our children as I work with Michael? Not, not a physical child, but a spiritual. He's my spiritual son. What do I need to make sure I'm teaching them? So this becomes not only for the family, but for the spiritual family of discipleship. What do we need to be teaching them? Well, as I serve as a head of school, I go there and, and I said, what is the most important things we teach here? And they said, well, Mr. Carson, you ought to know the three R's. The three R's. Sure, I remember that when I was way back there in school. There were three R's that everybody emphasized. What did they emphasize? 
reading, writing, and the dreaded word, arithmetic, the three R's of the school. You've got to teach them to read, you've got to teach them to write, and you've got to teach them arithmetic. Now, my daughter is a math teacher. She says, Dad, don't make fun of math. So I'm obeying my child, okay? Uh, three R's. I won't make fun of arithmetic, but it is sure hard. And I'm still not sure why some things are taught. But anyway, we got the three R's of school, but what are the three R's of Christian education? This morning, I want to talk with you about number one, that we train our children to have a reverence for God. A reverence for God. Secondly, we want to train them to have a respect for others. A respect for others. And thirdly, we want to train them to be personally responsible. Personally responsible. A reverence for God a respect for others, and becoming responsible. Now, I would like to give things that are hopefully memorable, that'll stick with you. So, again, what are they? What are we going to talk about today? We're going to talk about having a reverence for God. We're going to talk about today having respect for others. And we're going to talk about today growing in personal responsibility. So let's unpack this. When we talk about a, a reverence for God, what does that mean? Well, I go back to Deuteronomy 6 where it says that you may have the fear of the Lord, that you would fear the Lord. I think when we think about reverence of God, one of the ways we explain it is by talking about fearing the Lord. Now, to fear the Lord is not to be afraid of God, but rather it's going to be an acknowledgement that there is God. This is where wisdom begins. When you move from being one who is a fool, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. The wise person, you're getting wisdom when you now acknowledge there is God. God. Proverbs chapter 1 verse 7 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Proverbs 9 10 will say, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. This reverence that we want to teach our children is going to bring about a knowledge, an understanding, the wisdom, the skill there is to live life the way God intended life to be lived. As we think about how we live our life B.C., before Christ, how do we live our lives? How did I live my life before Christ? I was all self-centered. Life was about me. I lived as if I were my own little God. Judges says, as I would learn this after I get saved, uh, everyone does what's right in their own sight. Well, that's how I was living. I did what was right in my own sight. Well, I would read Proverbs that I learned in Proverbs. There's a way that seems right unto man. Proverbs uh, 14, 12. There's a way that seems right unto man, but the end thereof is death. 
So here I'm making my own decisions to live my life my own way, but the way I'm making my decisions is leading me onto a path of destruction. So when I come to fear the Lord and recognize him who he is and acknowledge that he is God, I had to repent of something. I had to repent of the fact that I thought I was God. So the fear of the Lord is going to begin with you saying, I am not God, he is God. I acknowledge him, and as I now see who he is, you can't help but stand in awe of him. You know, one of the most beautiful passages of all time is Isaiah 6, as Isaiah comes into the presence of the Lord, and he sees the Lord high and lifted up. Oh my word, what a beautiful picture. And Isaiah is standing there and he's in awe of him. The book of Revelation talks about the, being before the throne and as they're before the throne, they see how brilliant he is and how glorious he is and they fall on their face and they worship. So it's, it's acknowledging who God is. And from there, there's, you're standing in awe of God. And as you stand in awe of God, you can't help but adore God. You cry out as we sang this morning, worthy is the lamb, worthy to be praised. So I'm going to teach my children, first and foremost, you've got to learn to have a reverence for God. You've got to have a, you've got to, uh, have a fear from him, not being afraid of him, but rather seeing him for who he is understanding who he is. And as you do so, adore him. He gets supreme place. He gets top priority. He is the preeminent one, the fear of the Lord. How does this then impact a person's life? If the fear of the Lord is in place, what will it cause them to do? Why is it so important to teach this reverence? Well, go to Nehemiah chapter 5. And in Nehemiah chapter 5, you will find Nehemiah is going to have to make some decisions about how he is living. Nehemiah has come from the palace to now live in Jerusalem, and he is working to rebuild the walls, and he's rebuilding lives. And in Nehemiah 5, there's a situation going on where some of the people who are high in authority have been taking advantage of other Jews. Nehemiah is upset. He is not going to allow this kind of behavior. And he gives a concluding statement in Nehemiah 5.15 about his own life. He says, the former governors who were before me laid heavy burdens on the people and took from them for their daily ration 40 shekels of silver. They took advantage of the people. They laid heavy burdens on them. He said, even their servants lorded over the people, but I did not do so. It should come up on the screen. It says, but I did not do so because of the fear of God. Nehemiah says, because I have a reverence for God, I'm going to be treating people differently. And in my role, though I have a right to make certain demands, it will not be one where I take advantage of people. I have a higher responsibility, and that is to God in heaven, and I'm accountable to him. The fear of the Lord brings one to realize that they are 
answerable to God. They realize they are accountable to God. They have to give an answer for their actions. As we raise their children, we have verses that help us about what they should be doing as a young person. Uh, Ecclesiastes 11.9 is one of those verses. Ecclesiastes 11.9 says, Rejoice, O young man, in your youth. Now, some of you are going right now, oh, he's talking to me. Because no matter how old we are, we feel like we're young, right? Except for someone who's 60. I'm not feeling young right now. Rejoice, O young man. You that are young, rejoice in your youth and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your in the, in the sight of your eyes. But know that for all these things, oh my, God will bring you into judgment. You don't get to do everything you want to do. There is consequences to your choice. And as a parent, I have to teach my children to understand, you don't just answer to me. You answer to the supreme authority. You answer to God in heaven. The fear of the Lord helps me to understand he is the authority. And I can't do things that displease him. How did Jesus live his life? He was sinless. Part of that reason for being sinless was he wanted to always do the things that pleased his father. And three times from heaven, the voice of, of the father came, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. The apostle Paul, as he's living out his Christian life right into the Corinthians, he says we make it our ambition, our ambition to please him. So as I'm teaching my children to have a reverence for God, it's bringing them to a place where they understand he is God, not a God. He is God, God alone. And they are to acknowledge him. They're to stand in awe of him. They are to recognize his authority over them and that they will give an account for their actions. This is how the reverence of God changes a person. You say, well, how do I teach them to understand the reverence of God? Well, one of the ways is right off the bat is by teaching them how to pray. And what do you teach as your first prayer? As I was growing up, my grandmother Markham taught me when I think I was four or five, somewhere along in there, I remember being at her house and she said, Dwayne, I want to teach you a prayer. I want you to learn how to start praying. What do you think she taught me? She said, our Father, which art in heaven. What's the next phrase? Well, that's going to be a game changer, isn't it? Hallowed be their name. What's that mean? That you're to have reverence for God? Do you to understand that he is holy? You are not. That he is pure? You are not. He is righteous? You are not. You are to acknowledge his preeminence. Right off the bat, I'm learning in prayer. So as you are raising your children, you're teaching them to pray, you're teaching them the Lord's Prayer, right off the bat, you're saying, you got to understand he is to be revered. 
He is to be placed in the highest place of honor. But not only that, it comes from the word. As you get your child in the word and you're reading them the word, the word will reveal who God is. And as you understand who God is, you, again, you find yourself standing amazed at who he is. I, I, if you would raise your hand right now and say, Pastor Carson, could you tell me just a couple verses, just a couple places I ought to be teaching my child? First place, Psalm 23. Every child ought to be learning Psalms 23. If, it doesn't matter what age. Right now, Logan's not even three, and we're already teaching him Psalms 23. He's got to learn who God is. You learn that by looking at Psalms 23 because David unpacks all these different characteristics of who God is. Here's the other one. You may not have thought of this one. It's Psalm 145. And I don't have time to unpack that one, but Psalms 145 is 22 verses, and each one gives a characteristic of who God is. You want to help your child understand who God is, because here's the statement, folks. Here's the statement. How you think about God determines how you pray determines how you live, determines how you worship, determines how you work, it determines your walk, how you think about God. Is he just some cosmic being? Or is he a God that created you individually and loves you intensely? How do you think about God? And how do you want your children to think about God? You get them in the word. This morning, I'm challenging you, think about, first and foremost, teach your children to have a reverence for God. And as that reverence for God takes place, it will bring about an obedience to God. Secondly, this morning, and each point, by the way, we could spend a lot of time on, could we not? But let's move forward. Secondly, this morning, I'm going to teach my children not only to have a reverence for God, but a respect for others. You know, you can really break your Bible down many times into just small pieces. For instance, when I come to my Bible, I'm going to learn about two relationships. The first relationship is vertical, a relationship with God in heaven. The second is going to be horizontal, with others. You look at the Ten Commandments. The first four commandments, vertical. You look at the last six, horizontal. God laid that out. You've got to have a relationship with him, vertical, and then you've got to have a relationship with others. And folks, you have to learn how to get along with others. Uh, you may not have realized this, but except for one person, the entire world is made up of others. Ponder that now. Except for one person, the entire world is others. And you are greatly outnumbered. When you are all wrapped up in yourself, <laughs> And you're a very small package in this world of 8 billion people. You got to learn how to get along with others. And the Bible tells us that we're supposed to respect others. We're to show them respect. We are to treat them with respect. Let me give you a couple scriptures. Romans chapter 12. 
Romans chapter 12, verse 10 says, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Oh my. When you came to church this morning, you may have been getting dressed thinking, when I show up at Crosslink today, I hope they treat me like a king. I hope they will roll out the red carpet. I mean, I'm showing up at church today and I want to be treated like I'm number one. Well, if you're a Christian coming to this church today, you should have the mindset, I'm looking for ways to make other people feel so special, they'll be blown away. I want to outdo my neighbor in showing them honor and respect and value and dignity. Did you come to church that way this morning? Did you come with, I want to outdo them in showing respect? And then 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17 says, honor all people, Love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. First Peter 2, honor all people. Now, I don't know if Michael or Matt have taught you this, but at Liberty, we had a professor uh, taught uh, how to preach, and he taught us inductive Bible study, and he had a thing called Think 1-1, in which he said, all means all, and that's all all means. Have you heard that before? All means all, and that's all all means. So, okay, when I look at this passage, it says that I am to honor all people. Now, wait a minute. That doesn't mean, I, wait a minute. If, if they're from North Carolina, I don't honor them. You're from Virginia, right? We don't honor North Carolina people. They're not part of our people group, no. He says, honor all, every person is to be treated with respect and dignity. I find my journey as a Christian has these moments of, really God, this is how you want me to live. This is challenging to change me because I don't want to live this way. One of those passages that really grips you is Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 and verse 4. Have you looked at Philippians 2, verse 3, verse 4 lately? It's one of those verses that it gets, it, everybody gets convicted when they look at this verse. So just get ready to be convicted. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. They're the twins of turmoil. It's where you're looking out for yourself and you're making sure everybody knows you are number one. He says, I don't want you to do that. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Not only are you supposed to be outdoing people with honor, you're supposed to be esteeming others better than yourself. But I'm number one. Don't you know who I am? You're supposed to be making sure they have life better than you. Let each of you look out for your own interest, not only your own interest, but for the interest of others. 
The Christian life is about others. I go to meet my wife's parents when we were dating, and I'm in the home, and uh, I turn around to notice above the door that I had walked in, there was a word hanging over the door that you would walk out of every day. One word, and the word was others. My father-in-law, after becoming a Christian, made a decision that he needed to be living for Christ, and if he's living for Christ, others had to be above him. And so to remind him, he put a plaque, a piece of uh, wood with the word others on it, so as he walked out of his house every day, he would see it's all about others. If I'm gonna be a Christian and show respect to others, I'm going to put them above my needs. Boy, that is challenging because we live selfishly. From the moment we're born, we're selfish. We want our own way. And Christianity says you don't live that way. We raise the value of respect, treating others better than ourselves. But now watch this. We've got to raise the value of respect making absolutely sure that no person ever feels devalued. No person is to ever feel devalued. My grandmother Markham again comes into play with this message. I got called into her kitchen one day. That was the proverbial woodshed in that day. She calls me in, Dwayne, we've got to have a little talk. There's some things coming out of your mouth and they're not appropriate. And she points me to the scriptures, Matthew chapter five, verse 21. Matthew chapter five, verse 21 and 22. You know, folks, we do live in a country right now that has a thing called political correctness. The government wants to make sure we're treating everyone with proper respect. And it gets a little scary because all of a sudden you say something and you get in a lot of trouble. Well, long before there was political correctness, folks, there was Jesus correctness. Get ready. It's going to get really rough. Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. You have heard that it was said of those of old, you shall not murder and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Wow. Ladies and gentlemen, you are never ever to devalue what God has deemed most valuable. You are never, ever to devalue what God has deemed most valuable. And what's most valuable to God is people. And you're never to look at someone and call them a name that says to them, you have no 
value. What verse helps us to live out this? John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You know what it means that God gave his son. He gave his son to go to a place called Calvary, to go to a cross, to die for man's sin. Who did he die for? He died for the world. He died for every person. How valuable is every person? You've heard the statement. If you were the only person alive, Jesus would have died for you. Every person is so valuable to God, his son died for them. Yet we will come along and say that person is and we'll call them something that devalues them. We'll come along and say that group is something and we devalue them. You can't do that as a Christian and be a witness for the Lord. You cannot be prejudiced. You cannot discriminate. You cannot be a racist and call yourself a Christian and be a witness to them. Last night, we're at Michael's house for dinner, and Michaela is there, and, and she said, uh, Mr. Carson, uh, have you ever gone to another country? And I said, yes, I've been to other countries. And uh, she said, which ones? And my wife says, why don't you just start saying country names? Give her a chance. Let's see what country she knows. Why don't you just start saying country names and see if he's been there? She started off with China. And I said, yes, because I've been to China many times to take Bibles to Christians there to preach in China because I want to see Chinese saved. I've been to Japan. She said, Japan. I said, I've been to Japan. She said, I've been to Singapore. I said, no, I haven't been to Singapore. But one day I want to get there. She asked me if I've been to Brazil. No, but I've been to Argentina. Have you been to a country, a country in Africa? No, I've been to Kenya. I've been to all these different countries. Why? Because I'm taking the gospel. Because what did Jesus say about the Great Commission? Go into Harrisonburg? Is that what he said? Did he say go into Virginia? Did he say go into America? Or did he say go into all the world? Jesus died for the world. And folks, if we're going to be the Christian that's going to impact the world, we got to have respect and show dignity for every human being. There's no place for hatred in any Christian's life if they're going to be a witness for him. You have to get rid of that. We respect people. This is Jesus. That's why I tell my students, I go, this is Jesus telling you that you have to treat people with respect. Now, uh, we're going to teach them to have a reverence for God. That reverence leads to obeying him, which now leads to me respecting others. And then thirdly, this morning, we are to teach our children to be responsible. Responsible. Oh, that word. I, uh, at 60, I make a generalization it doesn't seem the new generation seems to be as responsible as the old generation. 
Now, some of that, I think, may be because we who should be teaching responsibility are not doing so. So I'm trying to resurrect the word responsibility. One of the reasons I'm trying to resurrect the word responsibility is because of Proverbs chapter 12, verse 27. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 27 says, the lazy man does not roast what he took in hunting, but diligence is a man's precious possession. Proverbs 12, 27. I'm not sure if it's on the screen, but Proverbs 12, 27. Diligence. The most precious possession a man brings to the table is, dilig- is being diligent, it's being responsible. Now, as I'm raising my children, I want them to be known for being responsible. Uh, when I was growing up, my dad drove home being responsible. I told this in the other services. When I, when I was at Liberty, there would be times I'd be sitting around a table with a group of young guys, and I'd ask them the question, when's the first time you ever felt like a man? And I'm waiting for them to tell me a story that they did something that their father gave them to do, and it just made them feel like, man, I, I feel like a man. I'm getting responsibility. I'm being trusted. And I had 19, 20, 21-year-old guys saying, I've never felt like a man. They'd never been given responsibility. Well, when I was growing up, my dad, right off the bat, started giving me responsibility as early as six. At 10 years of age, I can still remember that I had the responsibility of going out to check cows to see if any of them were having a calf, and about nine o'clock at night with a flashlight, walking what we called the pregnant pen to see if any cows were giving birth. One afternoon, one Saturday, I, dad had left, and he said, check on those cows, number 23 especially, they, she may be giving birth this afternoon. I go out there, 10 years of age, there's 23, and sure enough, she's starting to have a calf. And now I'm watching. I'm watching. I'm watching. Finally, after about a half hour, I'm like, that cow's not going to have that calf. And I got that cow and moved her over to the barn just like my dad would have done, pushed her in a chute, and then I put a chain around the calf's foot and I pulled it out. I delivered my first calf at 10 years of age. I told those guys, I said, I felt like a man. I'm 10 years of age. I'm already delivering calves. My dad was giving me responsibility. Now, I wasn't always responsible. He walked in the house one day and he said, "Uh, did you feed the dogs? Well, there was no neat line about it. The dogs had already told on me. As dad came in, them dogs were nipping at him, and he's like, they seem to be mighty hungry, Dwayne. Have you fed the dogs? And I'm looking at him, thanks a lot, dogs. You told on me. He said, Dwayne, I'm raising you to be responsible. I'm giving you responsibilities. The Bible says that you and I are supposed to be responsible. We're called to be found faithful. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2. We are to be found faithful. We're stewards. So let me talk to you real quickly, and I'm watching my clock, watching being sensitive of your time, but let me give you seven things that every parent yourself ought to be looking at to make sure you are being responsible. What are you supposed to be responsible for? Number one, you're supposed to be responsible for your testimony. You're supposed to be responsible for your testimony. Your testimony is 
representing Christ. And what you don't want to do is tarnish your testimony. You guard it. People should be able to say when they talk about you, there is a Christian who is living out the Christian life. I was told very early in my Christian life, your salvation is secure, your testimony is not. You can do a whole lot of good over your life and then all of a sudden make one big blunder. You know what they'll remember? The blunder. You've got to guard your testimony because you want to share your testimony. You don't want to be sharing with someone and say, well, you know, you're telling me something <laughs> that you're not living. Some of the worst Statements that could ever be made about you, believed, not lived. You don't want that said about you, parents, especially by your children, your testimony. Secondly, time. The time is the great equalizer. No one gets more time, no one gets less time. We all get the same amount of time, but how do you use it? How do you make the most of it? Ephesians chapter five tells us to redeem the time. Make the most of your time. Number three, uh, your talents. God has given you talents. He's given you gifts. First Peter 4, uh, 10 says that each one has been given gifts to minister to one another, and you will give an account. You're a steward. Are you helping others? Are you doing your spiritual gift? Listen, you may find yourself like the guy in Matthew chapter 25, afraid to take the risk with your gift. You know how the master felt about that? He became angry because you were afraid. He says, no, no, I'm going to take away your talent. Don't be afraid to try to use what God has given you. Number four, treasure. As God brings into your life finances, you're to use it for his glory. We don't love money, but we use money. Someone made a statement to me the other day about, about gaining some money, and I said, all I'm trying to do is get money so I can use it for the Lord. That's all I'm trying to do. Ephesians 4.28 says that he used to steal, stop stealing, but labor with his hands that he may have something to give to others to give to others. Wow, I'm supposed to be using my money to help others. And then the temple, I'm supposed to be responsible for my temple. This is the temple of the Holy Spirit. God's Spirit lives in your body. It is never to be taken to an unclean, unholy place. You're not to do unclean and unholy things with your body because it belongs to God. And then your thoughts. While wow, this one gets tough, yes, you have got to be found faithful guarding your thoughts. Your mind is like an airport. Planes want to land all the time. You're the air traffic controller. You have to say no to thoughts. You can't have the wrong thoughts. You can't have corrupt thoughts. First, Second Corinthians chapter 10 says, casting down, casting down all wicked, evil imaginations. It's how you think that's going to determine how you're going to live. Remember I said how you think about God. You want to be thinking on the right things, not the wrong things. And then your tongue. Oh, I got to be careful with my tongue. You better believe it. Oh, be careful, little tongue, what you say. You got to be found faithful with your words. You know that you will give an account for the words you say. Every idle word will be brought into account. Some of us may be old enough to remember was when there was not a thing called a tape recorder. 
Now everything you do is being taped. You never know when you are being taped. You better have the psalm, psalmist prayer, Psalms 141.3, set a guard on my lips, O Lord. You don't want the wrong thing coming out of your mouth. Ephesians 4.29 says that we are to edify one another with our speech. We're to build up one another with our speech. So I lay out for you seven things to consider at a later time when you have your small groups. What are these things you're supposed to be responsible for? Ultimately this morning, my challenge is this. I believe Christian education starts in the home. That every one of us should be responsible for training up our children in the home. And the way we do that is having a reverence for God. Teaching them to have respect for others and growing in responsibility. Now I have a question. And here's the question, and I bet you think you know what the question is. Are you training your children? No, that's not the question. Abraham Lincoln. Learn something from Abraham Lincoln this morning. He said the best way to train up a child is to go that way yourself. So as they bring it back up on the screen, here's the question this morning. Do you live a life of reverence for God, a respect for others, and being personally responsible? Yes, we have an invitation here but I always like to call my time an inventory time. How you doing with those areas? If you're gonna train your children, this has to be how you're living. A reverence for God, a respect for others, and being personally responsible for yourself. Let's pray. Ultimately, there is a fourth R, do you have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? The first three will not really matter. Matter of fact, they won't matter if the fourth one hasn't been taken care of. What does it profit a man to be the greatest father? What does it profit to be the greatest mother? What does it profit to be the greatest parent? If you lose your soul. So this morning I do ask, has there been a time in your life where you called on the Lord Jesus Christ and said, Lord Jesus, I need to be saved? Has there ever been a time where you've been born again? And if today you've never been born again, you've never accepted Jesus, you can come and talk to one of the deacons at the front here. You can come to a pastor and you can say, today, I need to be born again. You may be a child here today and you've heard the gospel before, but you've never made that decision yet. But today is the day of salvation. That's what the Bible says. Today is the day of salvation. So maybe this very day you understand Jesus died for you. He rose again and he offers to you the gift of eternal life. And you would say today, I want to receive Jesus as my savior. When it comes to the message today, what changes need to take place? Do you need to up your game when it comes to a reverence for God that he truly is supreme, he is preeminent, he is the authority of authorities. 
Do you need to grow in your respect of others? Is there some things you need to confess, some thoughts you've had about others that you need to confess and say that was wrong? I need to show dignity and respect to all people. Do you need to say today, I need to step up being responsible, owning the decisions I make? I'm not sure what God's doing in your heart. We'll take just a second. Pastor Scott's done such a great job today. He's going to come and he's going to lead us in that song again. Build my life. But right now, do business with God. And when the invitation is given for you to come maybe to the front to talk to someone, there'll be counselors here to talk with you. But do business with God right now. And do what you'll be glad when you stand in eternity before him that you did this day. Thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. We encourage you to come and join us right here on our campus. We're located right next to the county fairgrounds here in Harrisonburg, Virginia. If you have any questions about the church, any question about the message, feel free to email us or call us and let us know. And we look forward to seeing you soon. God bless you.